Hello and welcome to another installment of Warning for the Road. I'm Cam Washington and today we're with Drew Warner, one of our area pastors on staff. He's a great neighbor and friend and today he's going to show us just what it's like to be a good neighbor and the impact that has on the people around you. So sit back and enjoy the discussion. To have with us uh, Drew Warner and uh, Drew's our parish pastor of the Suwannee Sugar Hill Buford I don't know what, 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 what whatever that is. There's, there's, a, there's people live in Hushton, right? You yeah. call it Hushton? Hushton, Hushton and an extended territory out towards South Carolina. An extended territory. <laughs> uh, the hinterlands is what we refer to it as. <laughs> okay. Tell us, uh, first off, how long have you been on staff? And then uh, tell us about your family. Okay. I came to Perimeter in 1998 and uh, came on staff in 2002. Chip Sweeney um, called me. I didn't know Chip, but um, somebody gave him my name and said that they should talk. He should talk to me to help him start uh, the community outreach department. So that's how I came on staff. And I met my wife Laura here. She was on staff in the global outreach department as the mobilization coordinator. When I came on, I really came on as the mobilization coordinator for community outreach. And Laura and I both sort of ultimately. Uh, reported to Dan Case. And when I came on, Dan said, I want global and community outreach to be working hand in hand. So when people come back from being overseas, I want them to be able to implement locally what they were doing overseas and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so Laura and I started working together and we just thought the best way to work hand in hand is just to get married. So (laughs) not really. Um, I knew before she did. (laughs) But, uh, but that's how we met, and we worked together, and we got married pretty soon after I came on staff. And we've got a 12-year-old daughter, Grace, and a 7-year-old son, Micah. Hmm. You have been on staff 15 years. I can't believe that. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. It is amazing. No, no, I really can't believe it. <laughs> I think you're lying. No. <laughs> yeah. It is that's amazing. Ama- that is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, our, it's a privilege to have you here today, and uh, Cam and I just wanted to... Uh, hear a bit from you about kind of this whole topic of outreach. I uh, I want to share with our audience, I was just sharing this with uh, Cam and, and Drew before we came on the air, that I've always uh, admired just your, uh, your heart for relationship, but your heart for outreach, your heart for the non-believer, the unchurched, what the experience of church is like. For a person who is unchurched, and uh, but also just your heart for your neighborhood and what goes on there. I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, but I just want to just, uh, I guess, want to start out just talking about uh, the importance of outreach. We all we know about it here, particularly on staff, and our our elders and deacons are very familiar with the, the values that we have in terms of. Uh, evangelism and and uh, reaching out to others, but uh, just for you, what what is it that motivates you here? What what is it that you get excited about when you think about outreach? When you think about relating to the unchurched and and the non Christian? Well, maybe I'll start by saying <clears throat> the most demotivating thing to me for outreach has always been being told that I should be missional and evangelistic and sharing my faith. Whenever I'm, and I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor in the PCA, helped start the PCA. Um, 
So I grew up in, in church, and whenever we would have people talking about mission and evangelism, even as a kid and a teenager, it just was always such a turnoff to me. Um, but that's part of my experience. My church experience, I think, led towards what's going on in our lives and through us missionally. Um, and I'll just maybe touch on that because that'll give some perspective. Um, so growing up in church, I grew up in South Florida in the PCA, um, really went to a private Christian school. All of our friends uh, were Christians. I was kind of in the bubble, so to speak. I did not value or appreciate what I didn't, the gospel, what we had in Christ. And um, so for me, as I was, just fast forward, as I was leaving for college, <clears throat> we had a meltdown in our church um, that was very ugly, involved my dad's resignation from ministry, it involved blackmail, it involved just a big, big mess in our church. And when I went away to school, I would have said, I hate God, I hate church, I'm done with both, I'm out of here. And that's how I lived really the next eight years all through college and then moved to Atlanta, went into sales. And um, I didn't want anything to do with God or church. In fact, um, if anybody would have asked me, I would have said the very last thing I will ever do in my life is to be a pastor. And if by some crazy chance in hell... I become a pastor, the very last denomination that I would ever be a part of would be the PCA. Feel like a lot of people feel that way already. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. As a PCA um, pastor. That's right. But what happened, God got a hold of me um, through sense of purpose. I, I didn't care about what I was doing in sales, and, and this question started really bothering me of, am I going to do this for the rest of my life and then die, and is that it? And that's how God got my attention. And even though I heard grace my entire life, I really didn't hear it. I didn't have ears to hear. I didn't have eyes to see. But in my mid-20s, I was reading through Romans. I'd never read Romans before and read through it. And God just grabbed a hold of me through Romans 8 and Romans 9. And I just fell on my face. I said, God, I'm yours. I can't believe you would love me the way that, that you do because I don't deserve it. I'm an enemy of yours, um, and you've rescued me as your enemy, and you've adopted me as your child, and um, so I got, I just had a, had a very deep and profound experience with the gospel, and I think that that, that really was the fuel for mission, you know, it's the guy in scripture um, who says, you know, I don't know who it was, or, or what happened to me, all I can tell you is I once was blind, but now I can see. Mm. And he couldn't help but tell people about it. And that was just my, I had, a, I had a profound experience with the gospel. And so anything that happens through my life missionally is not necessarily because it's something that I feel like I should do. It's something that I'm compelled to do. Uh, not all the time. I mean, certainly there are a lot of times, like right now, I don't feel like going and talking to anybody about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there are times, I think, for Laura and I both, we both have a deep desire for people to know Christ. And mm. I think my eight years outside of the faith and developing a circle of non-Christian friends, because I was a non-Christian in college, gave me a real heart and compassion for non-Christians, because I was one. And it gave me a different perspective on how to connect and relate to non-Christians, because I was one. Mm. And... Growing up in the PCA, I don't know, in those years, I was born in 1970, so in the 70s and 80s, I don't know that the PCA was 
or a lot of churches for that matter, were doing a very good job connecting with non-Christian people. Mm. And so I felt like we've got to do things differently. We have to meet them where they are rather than force them to come and be who we are. Well, talk to us about that, uh, a different perspective. And, 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 and I know you're not saying my perspective's right, right, but I'm just saying a different perspective about reaching out to the non-Christian. Mm-hmm. What does that look like, or what, is that, what has that looked like? Yeah. Um, so Laura and I moved into our neighborhood where we currently live in 2004. And when we moved in, with our 240 homes in our neighborhood in Sugar Hill, um, we both felt compelled and felt very strongly convicted that for at least the first year or so, we were not going to initiate spiritual conversations and we were not going to invite anybody to church. Mm. But we were going to try to meet as many people as we could and get to know them by name and mm-hmm. start praying like crazy that God would begin to, to soften their hearts and begin opening doors for us. Mm. And it felt very uncomfortable to do that. A lot of times it felt like we were not being faithful to the gospel, Mm. but we thought, let's try it and see what happens Mm. because we wanted people to know that we really do care about them. We don't have an ulterior motive, even as good as the motive is with the gospel. We want them to know that we care about them genuinely. And, um, so that's what we did. Mm. And, um, within about a year and a half, really, um, people started inviting themselves to go to church with us. People started initiating spiritual conversation. And there were numbers of times where I, I felt compelled to initiate a conversation. I felt like it was a right, but I didn't. And um, I thought, we need to build trust here. We need to build trust. We need to build trust. But um, we really turned a corner. And God just, I, I think he really honored the fact that we did genuinely care about our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And um, so after getting to know what does it look like, after getting to know some of the guys in the neighborhood, I invited them to come to my house. I built a backyard fire pit to come um, enjoy the fire pit, and I wanted to cast a vision for starting a neighborhood men's group. And there are about 15 guys that I invited. This was back in 2006 or seven. None of them knew each other, and they all came. <clears throat> I mean, just about every guy came. I couldn't believe it. Really was surprised with that. And a learning that I had, I asked each of them, what compelled you to come? You don't know anybody else here. It's not comfortable walking into a group that you don't know anybody. Why did you come? And almost every single guy in a different way, but answered the same, uh, answered the same way and said, well, I have friends from high school and college, um, and I'm married and I have a family, but I don't have any friends here. I go to work and I come home and I go to work and I come mm-hmm. home. And I just don't feel like I have a life. So I just thought, if this is an opportunity to meet some guys in the neighborhood, I wanted to take advantage of that. That's awesome. What was the purpose of the fire pit? Um, The purpose was to introduce and invite them into um, this vision to start a men's group for our neighborhood. And the way that I cast the vision for the men's group is I told them that, um, I said, this isn't going to be a keg party, and this isn't going to be a Bible study but it's going to be somewhere in the middle. (laughs) And we're going to talk about life and we're going to talk about family and work and, and just everyday life with a spiritual dimension to it. Just to find out what does God have to say and what does the Bible have to say and what's a spiritual perspective on issues and challenges that we face in everyday life. Mm. And out of those 15 guys, uh, about eight of them continued on 
and we launched a men's group that's still going now. We meet every Wednesday night around a fire pit. Mm-hmm. And in fact, out of that group, um, a discipleship group has formed. That group really is geared towards non-Christians, and we just kind of hang out. And guys can have a couple beers if they want to, smoke cigars. Um, and we have, you know, more surface-level topic, but then we have a spiritual dimension. But last year there were some guys that said, I really want to go deeper. Like, I really want to study the Bible. Mm. And so uh, we started another group this year that meets before that group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think guys, you know, guys felt comfortable, I think, because there was relationship there beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I will say this in this podcast, for Laura and me, we're both extroverts. We're, we both have high gifts of hospitality. We're networkers. Um so you might be listening to this, and you might be more reserved in your personality. You might be an introvert. You might um, not have gifts of hospitality. You might be hearing this and saying, there's no way in this world I would do that. And that's okay. There are plenty of ways to engage with non-believers. We have, it's really important to do that um, through the personality type that God's created us to be. That's good. So, uh, Well, that, that's... that's, that's uh quite inspiring to do that uh and i appreciate your perspective on on uh, personality with that Mm -hmm. now you have you know as we've been on staff and uh, on occasion i'll listen to your heart about what is it like for people to come to perimeter Mm -hmm. who don't have a church background or they're not christian or whatever and the sensitivity you've had to that um what are things that you're aware of sensitive to as people come here who are not Christians, or, or at least don't have a church background? That's a good question. Um, you know, we've, we've had numbers of people from our community come with us to church, and I am always interested in how they experience church. We had uh, some next-door neighbors from ours. They don't live next door anymore, but they did. The wife grew up in Orlando, and... Uh, the husband, I think, grew up in Georgia, but they came to church with us, and she was taking all kinds of pictures and <laughs> just going crazy. And, and I thought, wow. And she said, this is the first time I have ever been inside of a church. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they're not a, you know, ethnically, you know, they're not a diverse. I mean, she's a white girl who grew up in Florida. And it just really reminded me of <laughs> the culture, where the culture is today, that that's probably not nearly as uncommon as maybe we think it is. But they had a good experience at Perimeter. They really had a great experience. They've connected with a church in Sugar Hill where we live that's right. very similar to Perimeter, that really Perimeter has shepherded and coached along the way. It's just a lot closer, right down the street from them. So, mm. if But if they live closer, I think they'd be here. And so... Right. I do think, you know, back to back to your question, Bob. Um, in the same way, it, you know, people are intimidated when when they anybody comes to church. In the same way that it, you know, if if you haven't worked out in several years and you go to the gym for the first time, yeah. you just look around and you feel like, man, I don't belong here, because people are so aware of their own sinfulness. Mm. Um, but when they look at everybody else, they think everybody else has it all together, and we feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so I think for them to know, you know what, um, none of us have it together. Mm-hmm. And 
I think maybe we need to figure out how do we communicate that in a better way that none of us have it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they hear the gospel here. I mean, Randy and our teaching team just do a great job in a humble way communicating the gospel. Um, one thing about the PCA is, and our and our theology is sometimes it can come across a little. Um, maybe challenging, difficult to understand. We're a heady denomination. It's very good. It's very rich, but we're more academic uh, in our theology. And sometimes for a brand new person, that's a little harder to comprehend and right. get lost in that. So you don't think a, a non-believer is interested in super lapsarian? <laughs> I think an unbeliever is definitely infra lapsarian. Uh, they would, they I'm would. A believer, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> First year seminary student. That's right. I'm a super napsarian. <laughs> super napsarian. <laughs> I love naps. That's right. So, but you know, I think that uh, when well, first off, I, I think it's good, and I, and I, I appreciate the message of grace, which really uh, I think, and I want to say this to you in a, in a way that uh, in affirming you, I think that message of grace is. Uh, overflows in your life and you permeate that and I think that's something that uh, non-believers see Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think you're also conscious of the fact of the people that would say you know it's just I feel awkward about uh, sometimes talking with people about faith and Mm -hmm. things like that and it seems like something that you can uh, and, and again maybe we go back to personality but you're able to somehow bridge that gap and any any helpful hints you think for people out there that may say man I'm a little scared I'm a little uh, intimidated about meeting or talking with friends neighbors co-workers whatever mm-hmm. anything that you think that's helpful well there are probably a lot of different perspectives because we have a lot of different experiences and they're all valid um, so I'm just going to speak out of my own experience that's where my perspective comes from uh, I think brokenness and woundedness in life um, can can be a huge asset when it comes mm. to living out our faith and being living in a transparent, authentic way. Those are two kind of buzzwords, I guess, for new church today. But um, Authentic- authenticity, authenticity, yeah. But be the authentic church. I, so I'll say this, you know. Growing up in, in the PCA and being around pastors my whole life and a lot of pastors that I saw seemed, and I think they probably did, have it all together. Um, in my mid-20s, I went through a divorce. I'd been married less than three years, and my wife, we had some difficult times, and, and, um, and I don't blame her for this, but um, I think things just got hard, and she got tired and, and emotionally drained and said she couldn't do anymore. And she left and filed for divorce and it crushed me. It did. God, that's what God used to break me. That was my desert, but that's where God meets us. Um, but I will say for me in that time, I was very conflicted because I felt called to ministry. I didn't know what that looked like, but my life was unraveling. And my cousin, his wife would call me from Dallas, Texas and, um, and pray for me over the phone and read the Psalms to me over the phone and in one of our conversations, I just said, Bill, I don't know what's going on because I do feel like God wants to do something with me in ministry, as crazy as that sounds, because my life really was sort of a train wreck, but I felt caught God was 
calling me in some element to, to ministry. But I said, my life is unraveling. And I don't know anybody in ministry that, you know, has been through divorce. I felt like, you know, when bad stuff happens, you get either put on the bench or kicked off the team. And my cousin said something to me that really became very foundational to ministry and relates to everything we're talking about in terms of uh, connecting and building relationships with non-Christians. He said, Drew, don't ever forget this, that God's army is made up of wounded soldiers. Mm. That is who he uses. He doesn't use the ones who have it all together and, and think they have it all together. He uses those who are humble in spirit, who are broken, they're aware of their brokenness. And, um, and God does a sanctifying work in us. Um, so in some ways we are put together because he's putting us together. But in a lot of ways we're broken. Yeah. And I think one of the great learnings that I've had even recently for ministry, and I shared with this with the elders in our parish last year, it was a significant learning for me last year, was that um, oftentimes we think of our brokenness and our woundedness as um, liabilities for our, for our ministry and for our mission. We need to you know, come across and project that we have the answers and we have it together, and that's how people are going to be one to Christ is through our put-togetherness. Um, but the reality is our woundedness and our brokenness, they're not liabilities. They're probably our greatest assets for ministry. So our tendency is to hide those things, to put them in a box and lock, you put a lock on the box and you know, try to move past those things. But I think, uh, in my experience, um, hanging on to those things and being transparent about our, our weaknesses and our brokenness and our woundedness uh, goes a long way in terms of connecting with non-Christians because they're broken and they're weak and they're wounded and they can connect to that. They can't really connect to people that have it all together. In the same way, if you walk into the gym, it's easy. it'd be better for me to have a personal trainer who uh, either had a story of battling with weight um, or was currently battling with weight than somebody who had it all together. Um, I'd rather have somebody that I felt like, okay, I, I, I can relate to this person. And when we're, when we're honest about our brokenness and our woundedness, I think we come across that way. Mm. Well, that's, you know, I think that um, it is, uh, it's just an admonition to us to just just be real with people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not feel like we have to put on the mask and 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 be the mm-hmm. super spiritual person and have all the the right answers for everything, mm-hmm. or 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 have our lives together. And I know that's easier said than done, but at the same time, again, just a great encouragement that that uh, you think. Well, sometimes I think people are attracted that to people that that really have it all together, but in reality, I think that there's a sense in which uh, maybe there is a bit of ease and comfort being with someone that you know is not trying to mm-hmm. push that, yeah. that, hey, I do have it all together. Yeah. So. And at the same time, non-Christians, you know, when, when Jesus is in us, when his spirit is in us, there is something different and attractive about us. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we're not broken anymore, yeah. but... There's something going on in us. There's a restoration going on in mm-hmm. us that they become attracted to. Yep. I agree. Um, I agree. 
So, you know, maybe a couple of closing thoughts. I yeah. don't know how much time we have, sure. but um, probably my latest sort of aha, and Bob and I were talking about this just a few days ago, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm, I think that this is probably accurate. I spent five years in sales, and I, I sold copiers and... Um, you sold ostriches? I sold ostriches. That's another podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but here's what I... I you I think, sold copiers to ostriches? Yeah. <laughs> I copied ostriches. <laughs> okay. cloned, I cloned them. Oh, wow. Okay, that is another podcast. Yeah. I think pretty much every person falls into one of two, of two camps. We're either good, and as I look at this through the lens of, of sales, okay? So you can, if evangelism is, in some senses, it's sales. Mm-hmm. Some of us are really good with people. We're good at relationship building. We're just good at that. We're natural. That's how God's wired us. Others of us are really good at closing the deal. We're good closers. And, um, you know, the relational piece is not necessarily our thing. We'd rather kind of scoot through that so we can get to the table where we've got the paperwork and we can close the deal. And when I was in sales, almost all of my sales flowed out of relationship that had been built. I hardly ever had to ask for the close. But in my experience, when I did get to it, I would get stuck sometimes. And I sometimes I would have a hard time with that. I'd just get stuck in an account that I just couldn't close. And my sales manager, Victor, would say, hey, I want to ride with you on Friday. Line up some accounts that are sort of stuck. And Victor was a good closer. And um, so I'd line up four or five accounts, and he'd come with me. And sure enough, he'd close three or four of the accounts. And I'd walk away, and we'd just celebrate. And I think with that, kind of the aha moment for me is that that's true for all of us as believers, maybe. Some of you guys and some of us are better at closing the deal, and some of us are better at building the relationship. But I think um, we're going to see more people one to Christ when we realize where our strengths are and we give ourselves the freedom to operate in that strength oh, yeah. and still continue to work on the other side. Mm-hmm. If I'm weak at closing, then I work on that. But I also work with people who are good at that, and we team up, and we do it together. And... Um, so that's probably my biggest aha moment. I think maybe just a practical, if you want something, you know, what can I do to, to see some difference happen in my life in terms of missional living and evangelism? I do believe that love is the one word that all of the commands boil down to, and it is the one word that the Christian life is all about. It is the gospel, love, unconditional love, supernatural love, um, God just pouring out his love upon us so that it would flow through us. So loving people really does make a difference. And if if you have to, you know, so how do I love people well? Probably the best way to love people well is to listen to them. Mm. And that, that has hit me recently as well. I don't do a great job with that. But when you listen to people with, real interest and we ask questions how do i express interest you ask questions people feel like you care about them and you would be surprised at how much of a difference that makes in terms of winning people uh relationally and then seeing people come to faith and um i guess maybe the last thing i'll say bob was talking a little bit about unorthodox style doing things a little bit differently if you're at Perimeter, then you've heard Steve Brown numbers of times say this, and this has really become my life motto. Um, 
he would say, my goal is to um, make uptight Christians doubt my salvation (laughs) (laughs) and non-Christians ask questions. So my desire really, truly, is to live a life that would cause other people, non-Christians especially, to become curious. Mm. And um, because non-Christians have us in a box. If you're a Christian, you're in a box. So you got to think, what do, I, what do I have to do in this relationship to get outside of the box that I know they've put me in? And um, so that's kind of what we try to do. Well, that's, that's tremendous. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to have you back... And Cam and I would love to have you back and talk more about this because, in fact, I think one of our objectives is for you to come back and talk and at the end of the podcast that our listeners would doubt your salvation. So, <laughs> I'll title it that way, too. <laughs> I think they might doubt my salvation at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I think that uh, let's continue to to talk about this. I'd love to have you back just to kind of marinate on this and say, okay, what are we learning as we go along? Because, uh, you know, we are talking, you know, obviously about greeting, befriending, inviting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are talking about relating to your neighbor, whether it's somebody who geographically lives next to you or your person you work next to. But I just, uh, I want to thank you for your your, uh, sharing your perspective. And uh, I think, it's just a great encouragement to all of us about reaching out to to uh, our unchurched neighbors and friends. And mm. so thank you for doing that. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and it's always a pleasure to be uh, with you all. And I uh, hope these podcasts are helpful. As uh, Cam and I today had the privilege of, of, of sitting here with Drew Warner. And uh, just listen, tell your friends about it, and uh, we'll look forward to... Being with you next time on One for the Road.